This is Tennessee Talks with United States Congressman Tim Burchett. Hey everybody, I'm Congressman Tim Burchett. And welcome back to Tennessee Talks. And that's the buzzer going off, telling us that uh, we're getting ready to go back into votes. Um, I'm joined today by my good buddy from the Tennessee Congressional Delegation, John Rose. Rose, thanks for being here. Fist bump, obligatory fist bump. John was born in Cookville, Tennessee. He grew up working on his family farm that's more than 230 years old. Um, I bet you I could do some good metal detecting over there. Probably so, If yeah. I found anything, I'd split it with you. Yeah. As far as you know. Arrowheads are the thing that are, yeah. That are in yeah. abundant you, supply. You can't there. find those in metal detector, unfortunately. He earned a Bachelor of Science in Agribusiness Economics. Did you call that Ag Econ? Is that what they call it? Ag Business, yeah. No, okay, ag Business, Ag Econ. From Tennessee Tech. He has a Master's of Science in Agriculture Economics from Purdue University and a Juris Doctor from Vanderbilt, or as we like to call it, Vanderbilt. Rose, it's good to have you here with you, brother. Thank good you. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, being a sort of a fellow farmer, I mean, you actually do farm. I actually just got a couple <laughs> of horses, three dogs, two cats, a wife and a daughter, and a field full of grass. So that's my farm. But anyway, you served as chair of the um, Tennessee Future Farmers of America Foundation. I was actually a member of FFA when I was at Bearden High School. It's pretty cool. I never did get the purple, uh, purple jacket. Blue. Was it blue? Blue and gold. It's, Nas- it's, it's national like blue and corn gold. It's what? National blue national and corn blue. gold. Okay. Well, see, I didn't get one. Yes, obviously. <laughs> we'll have to edit that part out. Um, I, I think it's good that we get young people involved in, in agriculture. Why would you think that that is a good thing? Well, so, you know, we live in a country that from, it, from its founding and from the settlement, uh, we've enjoyed a bountiful supply of food. And, uh, you know, thankfully our country, our farmers are able to feed the people in this country and many of the people around the world. And we, but we shouldn't take that for granted. And it takes uh, well-trained, informed people to produce that food. And, and so FFA and agricultural education are an important part of making sure that this country is food secure in the future. I heard Paul Harvey one time, he gave a talk about a guy that was growing up on a, uh, he grew up on a, um, um, let's see, they, uh, a dairy farm, and the guy was in the Army, you know, he was writing his dad about how he gets up every morning at 5.30 and, and you know, and does his deal, and then um, he's in bed by 6.30 every night, and he said, man, if I'd have known it was going to be like this, I'd have joined a long time ago. It's <laughs> a farm, it's 24-7, we, 365, and Christmas, We had a dairy farm for many years, and it's a very, uh, it keeps you close to home. Redon ever do much work out there? She did as a youngster. Now, she, she got away pretty quick. Yeah, so. no, Redonna's his sister, dear friend of mine. She was um, very influential in Nashville, and still is with the Farm Bureau. Um, what was it like growing up on a family farm? Well, so we, I should note that we didn't live right on the farm, so we lived about 30 miles away in Cookville, right. so a little bit different experience than a lot of people had. My dad worked for Farm Credit, uh, the Production Credit Association, and so to some degree missed out on that, you know, being right there on the farm every day. We, we substituted for that by uh, Radonna actually as a young 4-H'er and then FFA or uh, got cheap and we raised them in our backyard in, in Cookville where we lived and, and then we spent our afternoons and weekends and summers on the farm and now, so it, very, was, it was a great experience. It's very uncongressional like you for telling me the truth, correcting me. Usually <laughs> you would say, oh yeah, you know, early, you know, 24-7, you know, I was up there, I was, I was shucking corn or something, you know, then, you know, to, to 
to, you know, appeal to the congressional thing that we all like, <laughs> which most of us apparently do, it seems like now lately. Um, the new farm bill, I know you're on the Ag Committee, and the, um, the farm bill is, um, is coming up this year. Tell us a little bit about it, why it's important, and will we be able to keep it a clean bill? Well, I hope so. Um, you, you know, if you think about ag policy in the United States, you really have to kind of turn the, the history back to the 1930s. Uh, during the 1930s, in the midst of the Great Depression, the U.S. adopted what essentially is known as a cheap food policy. Uh, I guess the politicians of that time were concerned about the, the public, the electorate, if you will, getting right. riled up because food was not available or was expensive or they couldn't get access to it. And so we put in place farm policies that make sure that, the, that we have an inexpensive supply of food. And those policies have been in place since that time. And so what comes with that is then the necessity to have ag policy that makes sure that farmers can survive even though they aren't going to enjoy sometimes the high prices that might come if you kind of left uh, agriculture to the free markets entirely. And so that's why we have these yeah. policies that provide a safety net for farmers so that they can get by in the lean times. I, you know, what I, my biggest fear is is that we, you know, we drive all the the family-owned farms out, and then we're just uh, the corporate farms, the, the multinational corporations, which control a lot of things now. You know, and I know that the um, um, meat processing, we used to call them slaughterhouses, I guess that's not politically correct, but, you know, are, are foreign-owned, and we put these crazy rules and regulations in under the auspices of, of, of health, and, um, and in reality, all it's done is driven mom and pops out and now you have foreign control of these commodities that we desperately need. And uh, to me, it's, it's just, it's, it's pretty unnerving that we've allowed that to happen. I think where you see that consolidation that's probably most troubling is in the processing side and the delivery of the finished product to the, to the consumer. The truth is the vast majority of farms, even the corporate farms, are still family owned. Lots of farms have gotten large, very large by historic standards, but most of them are still fa actually family owned, even though they may be a, a corporation per se, it's still a family owned enterprise. There has been some vertical integration in certain industries, poultry, swine, Vertical for integration, that's one of those words you, you learned in Vanderbilt, right? <laughs> I learned that actually in Ag Econ. So, okay. uh, right. so, so you have some industries where the larger corporations have, uh, you know, gained control over production. Uh, but even in those spaces, generally the, at the farm level, you're dealing with family farmers. Right, I know them. When you're talking about Ag Econ, I remembered um, Tommy Burks, who was a real legend in Tennessee politics and friend of mine, but his wife was, and I were very close. And um, I just remember the, you know, the, the voice of the farmer sometimes just gets overshadowed. You know, where does milk come from? It comes from Waggles, you know, from a jug, and that's you know, comes from a dadgum cow, and you have to, and, um, and of course Waggles owns a big farm, so you know they were in that business all the way from one end to the other. Sure. But I, and I always use them as an example. But I, I've always, um, I've always admired folks that that did that, and we just we get, we try to, I think, just under the auspices of of safety, sometimes we've we've forgotten, you know, that we are. The human body is a little more uh, 
resilient than we give it credit for sometimes, I think. so. That's yeah. true. Well, you mentioned Bill Weigel and the uh, Weigel's family. They had a, a dairy, as, you, as yep. you've already pointed out, and, and he grew up milking cows, and they, they uh, moved into the processing side and then uh, later transitioned into the convenience store business that they have today. But yeah. uh, it's a great, great family story there. And you mentioned Tommy Burks's. Uh, I grew up mowing his mother's lawn. That oh, really? Was one of my summer jobs. And uh, what so was his he pig's was, name? He always used to talk about some pig hog that he had. It I, was, yeah, I, I don't. Remember. I don't remember that. Oh, well. But uh, he was oh, you a great into mentor of mine. So. That's and he was. Um, Kind of a legend, I guess, at Tech. Is that right? That's right. He was, and he was a future farmer. Got the American Farmer degree when he was in FFA years oh, ago. Yeah. And his wife Charlotte, who took his place after he tragically was assassinated, uh, was is still a great inspiration to people in our community. Love Charlotte. Called her Charletta. We were big buddies. She called me Burchett, and I loved her. Still do. Um, you recently went to the World Ag Expo in California. Uh, what are the, what were the farmers and ranchers say, talking about mostly there? Well, a lot of talk about the Farm Bill and the need for certainty from the government. Uh, you know, there's enough uncertainty for farmers when you think about markets and you think about the weather and nature and the, the difficulties that those challenges present. And so the last thing we need to do is for the government to be in injecting more uncertainty into agriculture. The interesting thing about the World Ag Expo, it was held in the Central Valley, the southern end of the Central Valley of California, the San Joaquin Valley, some people call it. And uh, it's one of the most diverse areas in the country for agricultural production, really a breadbasket for this country. Uh, you know, a wide array of different products and commodities and food products, uh, uh, everything from fruits to nuts. I was going to uh, say fruit. I knew that, I knew uh, that it was big in the, um, the fruits and, and the nuts and because I'd, I've been following the, um, the drought situation over there and how we've, um, you know, record snowfall, record rainfall, but yet just the gallons and gallons upon gallons that were flowing out into the ocean because of some environmental witchcraft, more or less, environmental rules that are really for no rhyme or reason. That's right, and, and we heard a lot about that during our, our time there. A lot about the various federal programs and what needs to be done to provide uh, you know, uh, an opportunity for farmers to continue to be able to be profitable. What What's happened with ag policy is that uh, we got very used to, uh, I guess it's true across the economy, to having stable prices in this country and this runaway inflation that the last two years we've seen during the Biden administration you know, that's been spawned by runaway government spending uh, has presented a real challenge. It presents a real challenge to farmers and the farm programs were all fashioned five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago with no thought to runaway inflation like we have like na right now. And so that's something we're going to have to address in the 2023 Farm Bill. Yeah, I hope that it's very specific on those things. I hope that because, I, I, you know, the complaint I've always heard about the Farm Bill was they tried to, they tried to put too much in it that maybe didn't have agriculture applications. And I would hope, um, at least that's one of the things I talked to Kevin McCarthy about because, you know, as you know, in the Tennessee legislature from your tenure uh, being in uh, the ag man there in Tennessee that um, bills have to be very clean in Tennessee when they're passed and I like that. I like that everybody's up here saying well Burchett we'll be here all night voting. Well dadgummit let's be here all night. I don't want to vote for something that has unintended consequences because it was a thousand pages long and and some knucklehead was telling me trust me Burchett it's it's good you know I don't, right. I don't I don't need that. I know you um 
you're on the House Financial Services Committee, but you're also the Vice Chair of the Financial Services Committee on Oversight Investigations. Um, what kind of priorities do you all have this year? Well, so one of the things that we've seen over the last four years, uh, Tim, while we've both been here, is that there's been very little, and particularly since the, the uh, President Biden came into office, very little oversight of the administration. So we have uh, financial services regulators, folks like the Securities and Exchange Commission, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, the, the Treasury, uh, the uh, Comptroller of the Currency, that we're supposed to be providing oversight to them, but uh, our predecessors, uh, the Democratic majority, were not pro providing that oversight. They were not allowing right. the committee to function as it's supposed to. And so, for example, tomorrow we'll have the the uh, Fed chairman before the committee and be able to ask some of the tough questions. You know, the Fed chairman, I think, I think he would even admit at this point, he missed this swell in inflation. And, yep. and some of us two years ago were kind of screaming, hey, we're going to have inflation if we keep spending keep all spending this money. Just keep spending this money. It, doesn't, sure it just enough, doesn't make any sense yeah. to me that, that we're having to look at that now when we, we everybody was just, what in the world are we doing? Yeah, and, and it was no mystery. You know, even former Democratic Treasury Secretary Larry Summers said, if you do this, you're going to have runaway inflation. And, you know, as if he was just uh, queuing it up, it, it came on just like he expected, like many of us expected. And so right. the, the Fed chairman has some, answer, some questions to answer on that front. Well, switching gears a little bit, I know your boy, was it Guy that had his feet worked on? That's right. So now, how's he doing? He is doing great. He had some surgery. He's, uh, been he, in he's my got prayers. a tough recovery period. He had some pretty serious surgery on his feet and uh, uh, that went well last week, last Thursday. And so he's got three or four days under his belt now. He's going to have casts on for the next six weeks and can't put any weight on oh, those man. feet. And He's an uh, active little boy. He is. So you can imagine uh, as five years old uh, having to sit in a wheelchair for the next six I weeks. I can't imagine it at 58. <laughs> five years, dude. Well, we'll He's be not quite as heavy as you, so he's a little easier I'll, to pick I'll up. I'll pray for him around. and his mama. Yeah, you should do that. Yeah. That's, that's exactly right. All right. Well, here's the part of the show that I, I hate, but our guests seem to enjoy the most. Um, where you get to ask me any question you'd like. And of course, if, it, if I don't like it, I'll edit it out and then just act like you never asked me that question, Rose, but go ahead. Well, so you have a perspective I don't have, and that is that you served in the Tennessee General Assembly for a number of years, both in the House and the Senate in Tennessee before yeah. you came to the U.S. House of Representatives. From my observation, uh, Tennessee does it a lot better than we do it here. And I wonder if you could just talk about the yeah. differences and how that ends up serving the people of Tennessee better that we have a legislature that actually debates bills and, yeah. and really considers it, the issues yeah. that come before them. Well, that's, one of, that's the reason I voted for Kevin McCarthy. I went to him and I said, hey, this is what we do in Tennessee. And really about 80, almost 90% of what I asked him to do, he, he's done. Um, we have thing, you, it's called a caption bill. If the bill starts out dealing with dog catchers, well, dadgummit, it ends up, has to be dog catchers. You can't put a big raise in it. And he, um, and he's followed that. And he's, you know, fiscal notes, we know what, how much stuff costs. We're not, not any surprises in that regard. And, um, and things like that. So, um, you know, that's, uh, and I, and I dig that because that's what the public demands. They're tired of this, these 2,000 page bills that we get dropped on our, our lap the day of or you know a couple hours out um, you and I both came up here at the same time I think the first big spending bill was just that it was a huge spending bill and uh, 
there's no way in the world we could have read that thing or found out what was in it. And that's by design. It protects people, and I get it, but I'm just we just don't need that anymore, and 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 we're we're changing that. And I think um, you know, shame on the Senate for not following suit, really. <laughs> but and there's the buzzer. I know we got to go vote. I just got a, te a, a text. I'm sure that's what they're telling us. But anyway, John, I wanted to thank you, buddy. You've been a good friend, your wife, and you've got two wonderful. Beautiful, beautiful kids, and you're a very fortunate man. Um, you've been a friend of mine for a while, and I'm glad to still say you are a friend of mine. And I'm, I appreciate you being on the show. And I'm thank Congressman you, Tim Burchett, and I just want to thank you all for watching another episode of Tennessee Talks. Thanks for listening to this episode of Tennessee Talks. Please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Keep up with Congressman Burchett by following Rep. Tim Burchett on Twitter and Instagram and Congressman Tim Burchett on Facebook and YouTube.